The marks of a great leader are fairly self-evident. Qualities that stand out on their own without the need for others to draw attention towards them. Effective leaders are not only able to check the boxes on a checklist but help to make sure those reporting to them grow to be more effective and efficient over time. In my commentary years ago, I asked you to think back to someone who inspired you. Someone who made you want to be the best version of yourself. Not through coercion with threats of negative consequences but because they made you understand it was the best for you, your goals, and everyone's best interest. The difference between boss and a leader is a boss simply tells you to do something and then follows up to see that the task was completed. A leader is someone who makes you want to contribute towards the team's goals without the need for asking. Because you feel good when you do your part. Most people have bosses. Few people have leaders. We do something because we are told to and we need to make sure the paychecks continue to come in. If someone else offers us a little more income, then we are willing to change from the old boss to the new boss without much care, besides some stories to tell. In many companies that I have contributed to, I have noticed the complete lack of a leadership culture. Most of these places the workers are not treated like they are an asset. Rather a liability that the company could care less about. And the workers are not ready to jump ship at the first opportunity they are reasonably given. This can be very destabling in the long run. While many big companies think their large brand name will demand loyalty, the reality is most people will trade working for a large employer for one that is known to treat their employees fairly and offers growth. The brand name companies are not really a big draw in some instances because to the next employer they may be hiring a cog in the system, not the originator. How can we see bad leadership? Sometimes it is results-driven. For instance, there is so much being made out of the coaching performance of Kyle Shanahan in Super Bowl 58. How players readily told the media they were not informed of the rule changes that most people knew and what strategy the Niners head coach intended to execute. Personally, I think Shanahan is a great leader of the 49ers based on a comprehensive period of time and results. But, in the current moment, there are people in the sports media world questioning his leadership. In direct contrast, the Kansas City Chiefs players told the same media that they knew what the strategy would be in either situation in overtime, regardless of who got the ball first. In defending his decision, Shanahan commented that he talked to his coaches and analytical staff. I do not believe that it was as egregious of a mistake as the sports pundits are making it out to be. Although I completely understand their point and agree with their preferred strategy. I would think there needs to be some consideration that his defense also might need a break and that may be a factor as well. Considering, he was anticipating field goals not touchdowns being the outcomes. I do not believe that leaders are born great leaders but develop over time and learn from their success as well as failure. In this case, the handling of critical moments might be a clear sign of failure. The problem may be that communication might be best provided from the head coach to the players rather than allowing it to trickle down. Communication is often the key to a great leader. Not in saying a lot for the sake of talking, but saying the right thing to the right person at the right time. There are times when telling your lieutenants to send a message to the staff is an effective dissemination of information. There are other times when the message is best sent by the head honcho. In critical moments, the best effect is the person who contributed the most to the path forward. Some messages can only come from the person in charge. Times when all the chips are on the table and the staff needs you to look them in the eye. Too many organizations do not really know what leadership qualities are needed. Rather just hire people because they were productive in their previous roles. Sometimes they are not productive. Rather are effective at appearing productive and excel at maintaining a narrative of visibility. For instance, I experienced a rather large health system that I was involved with that had obvious issues with leadership problems. There was clearly cultural issue present with the company and it impacted the effectiveness of their employees. Not like they really knew because they purposefully did not adequately track performance. Just the overall appearance of management.
Therefore, the best skilled talent left for better opportunities. Leaders resulted in hiring relatives lacking the proper experience and background. Creating an imbalanced culture where few did a great level of work while a vast majority was coasting. And the senior leadership were constantly befuddled on why people were not happy and why people left at the first chance they got. Bad leadership is endemic as everything is these days. While there are issues with the attitudes and work ethic of many people in the current environment, a major contributor to the problem is the lack of quality leaders to guide, develop, and manage staff. Effective organizations are ones that recruit well, develop talent, and create pipelines. Some may say there are no perfect candidates. But bad leaders will not attract top talent. That is simply the facts. If your staff is generally unhappy and not performing to expectations, first look at the leaders. Better leaders create better performance. Bosses just try to say things louder. That never works. Effective leaders help workers understand what the expectations of their role and performance are. What defines good, bad, or average performance? And what reasonable resources are available to them to improve over time? The potential rewards and consequences are known ahead of time and handed out based on objective performance not sole discretion by an authority. I think organizations have to modernize their definition of leadership, how they develop that culture, and who they select. Some people want power because they want to be in the know while others are in the dark. Leaders are not self-serving. Rather they can develop and want their people to succeed. Some people are not meant to be leaders. Some people need to be kept away from leadership positions. If you regard your department or team as a professional staff, then you need to treat them as such. Ensure that they have fair expectations, treatment, and access to opportunities. Make sure the people that they report are held accountable for their development. If leaders are not treating staff fairly or developing them, then what purpose do they serve? The easy path is always to blame workers and complain they have unreasonable expectations. Maybe their expectations are unreasonable. But maybe your culture is a just as unconscionable. Rewarding good behaviors and good leadership is important. Why are companies like Google, Apple, Microsoft, and now NVIDIA top places to work? Largely because of how they treat their employees like valuable assets, not simply productive assets. Professional companies understand that they employ professional workers and need to treat them as such. The days of treating employees like they are just a number are over and rightfully so. Employees are more than an employee number. What makes Google a special place to work? From all accounts, the tech recruits the best talent, compensates them more than fairly, and ensures their well-being. The search leader is known for its people-first culture and they embrace their talent rather than the norm of creating adversarial relationships. People hear about the perks of working at Google in their work environment. The comforts afforded to workers. They value the creative people that contribute to the products they offer and ensure that these creatives are incentivized to remain at Google. Rather than accepting work elsewhere. Even when workers are laid off, they seem to continue having positive remarks about the organization and the culture. Clearly they are a special place to work and they embrace talent rather than obsessing over them as a cost on a spreadsheet. Google is the known stereotype of the overcoddled employee with snacks at every fingertip. Microsoft, Apple, and others do well in how they treat their talent, which is why the tech industry is the preferred destination for most high-functioning talent. Not every company needs to go to the lengths that Google and the other magnificent seven go to treat employees fairly. There are layers to this. So companies should be able to determine how they can best meet the needs of the employees they attract. Companies that have good leadership culture, effective development programs, and compensate fairly will attract the cream of the recruitment crop, leaving the lesser performers to others. There are many companies that claim to do the same as companies like Google, but their words do not match their actions. If your company is underperforming or quality continues to be a problem, 
Then consider the leadership culture you have throughout your organization and make real change. Many companies want to change the narrative around the organization rather than changing the actions and culture that created the truth to leak out. No matter the amount of ad dollars spent messaging the preferred narrative can overcome the truth circulated on social media channels. Personal interactions. People see through commercials and the presence of the ads reflect the fact that there is an underlying problem the company is trying to cover up. You cannot fake fairness, proper treatment, and compassion. Companies with good leadership cultures will get the best talent, leaving you to pick from the scraps. If you have a great leadership culture, you may be able to take what you get and develop talent into what you need. The benefit is multifaceted. The treatment from tech companies is known all across the business world. They give a lot to their workers and demand a lot from their workers. The cultures allow them to do that. You do not have to match their efforts to the dime, but you can do more to make your human capital want to grow your business. The potential of artificial intelligence is still unknown if you consider the complete scope. The new technology has so many potential benefits, many of which have yet to be discovered. So it is almost impossible to fully comprehend the limits of the technology. When you do not fully understand the scope of something, you are limited in not only the potential benefits, but also the potential harms or downsides of its use. It is human nature to focus on the positives in life and business. The increase in revenues, sales, consumer satisfaction. Faster, more personalized engagements. Shorter turnaround times. But what are the impacts on the people that use to perform those tasks or the impact on consumer communities that use the products or services created by those new technologies? For instance, the development of social media was hailed as a game-changing moment in how people communicate and maintain connections. Social media changed the way businesses and their customers engaged, cutting out the intermediaries when customers really want to let the brands know what downsides or opportunities for improvement they are seeing. That is all great, but few really could have fairly predicted that the technology could be harmful to our youths or mentally unstable. The unintended uses that people products for. The concern policymakers have with social media is how effective were these companies at addressing the downsides or developing solutions to address concerns of users or advocacy groups with legitimate concerns. In many cases, social media was perceived to be behind the eight ball while people experienced the loss of loved ones to cyberbullying or society impacted by hysteria. Social media companies were not really out front of the issues, which one can understand that these solutions are complex and need time to develop. The lack of communication or acknowledgement that a problem might exist and that they are working on it created a negativity associated with social media use. Now, artificial intelligence has the potential to be just as game-changing if not more and some people who believe they may be negatively impacted are getting out ahead of the issues. Especially those in Hollywood who make a living writing content for movies, music, and comedy, as seen in a pending lawsuit that is kind of going up in smoke. From the article in the Wall Street Journal, the plaintiffs appear to be quite too early in claiming harm that currently does not exist without reasonable doubt. And do not have proof that harm will actually exist in the future from the product. Because the potential harm seems to be predicted and estimated not derived from an actual act or result. Their concerns are legitimate. One could rightfully assume that some organization could use the technology to exploit the likeness of one's work without the cost and perceived inconvenience of licensing that content. So the potential income they would normally receive could be lost. And many of these talented writers could lose any leverage in negotiations and even employment opportunities if the technology drastically reduces the need for human content creation. So I can understand why the plaintiffs want to get out in front of the issue because once the practice is in effect, there is little chance a court is going to completely end it. For example, Public policymakers usually want to implement many ineffective programs in a hurry because they know once it is in place and people are impacted, the less likely the chance it can be ended without a readily replaceable solution is in place. 
Artificial intelligence is not bad public policy, but it will be hard when you have one side losing revenue and another side standing to lose a lot more revenue. From my legal coursework in business school, there was a section discussing that part of the concerns for courts is protecting the economy and health of society. So the courts may choose to ignore the issue once the consequences become too large. So I believe the plaintiffs are really trying to cajole the courts to issue rulings to help shape potential regulation on the use of artificial intelligence. But the courts may choose to not act if there is no definable harm done or proof that you could be harmed. In this situation, it seems like the courts were taking a wait-and-see approach. Seems like much of the case was dismissed lack of evidence, but affording the plaintiffs to refile in the future if new evidence is presented, which is something they might not be pleased with. But there is no real harm currently done because artificial intelligence is largely talked about but not fully implemented at the level that could constitute harm. The lesson for the technology companies preparing the launch of applications for artificial intelligence is to make sure that the outputs are distinguishably different from the likeness of others and well-sourced in compliance with all current regulations and laws. Their technology should be more than capable of doing just that.